Fog DAO is a group of builders and investors bringing you the best content on how new technologies can be used to make better games. Enjoy the show. GM friends, and welcome to the future of gaming. You're listening to our weekly Fogcast. We've got Devin Becker, we've got myself, Nico Vereke, and we have a special guest whose name on the internet is Lord of a Few, also known as Loaf. Um, we uh, kind of asked him to join because last week when we had our town square, we had some questions um, about how to use AI in games and people wanted to know some companies or some projects that were actually using um, stable diffusion and the like inside or for, for their games. Um, Loaf is, you know, when you think about it, he's actually doing a bunch of stuff on the edge. So he's using AI in games, but he's also building a on-chain game on Starknet. Um, and so we're going to dive into Starknet versus EVM, how a ZK rollup changes what you do and the things that are possible on a ZK rollup versus a EVM-based um, chain or rollup. And then we're also going to go into a concept called account abstraction, which is going to be, I think, something very important moving forward, uh, but not a lot of people talk about that right now. So um, that's the intro. Hey, Devin, everyone knows you. Um, but, uh, oh, that's Lof, good you, to know. Sorry? That's good to know. Thanks. <laughs> uh, Lof, could you could you give us like uh, maybe a, a two-minute background on yourself before we dive in? GM, GM. Yeah, good to be here. I think this is what, my third time now. Um, yeah, it's, it's a new uh, podcast, though. This it's a new podcast. All right, yeah. all right. Same, same, same presenter. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So a bit, bit, bit of background about myself. I, um, you know, I've been a long time crypto investor. Um, been in Web two, kind of building tech stacks for quite a long time, um, building businesses, and I kind of was on the fringe for a while in the crypto space. Picked up Solidity in 2016, but decided not to, t- not to continue. That was a mistake. But here we are. Um, and then, you know, I uh, kind of watched crypto um, go up and down a few times. And then, you know, DeFi started to happen. And I, you know, I started to kind of um, um, pick my ears up again. And um, so I kind of got back involved looking for something to do. And um, obviously a longtime gamer and all-around nerd. I, um, uh, the NFT craze happened and then loot happened. And loot totally nerd sniped me into this whole idea of this open source, um, you know, uh, Creative Commons world build, um, you know, all the way back, what, year and, year and a couple months ago now. Um, and so I saw that and I was like, okay, this is, you know, this is something that I'm, you know, willing to commit, willing to commit to and trying to build this thing on the edge. Um, and so Loot happened and then Loot Realms happened. Um, and uh, myself and Redbeard, we decided on a weekend just to build up a website um, called Bibliothecadel, uh, which was like a, like a, um, it was basically just a subgraph. You you could you could um, you know see all your loot items on one page, and we did that, and then it kind of led to one one thing led to another, and we connected with the realms dev, and we decided to build an on-chain game. And um, <laughs> uh, long story short, we tried to build a uh, the on-chain game on Arbitrum originally, but we quickly realized that you know um, uh, we we didn't quite like 
L2s, we'll go deeper into this, but, you know, L2s opened the design space up a bit, but, um, you know, back then Arbitrum was was quite early and um, its DVM is still quite constrained. So we, we kind of failed in our implementation of what we wanted to build. So we kind of flipped over to StarkNet and, you know, this is what we've been building for the last nine months. So, yeah, so we're, we are deep building um, a game called Eternum, uh, which is based around the Loot Realms NFTs and in the Lootverse. And we're also going to be using the Loot NFTs um, and a bunch of other things that we're building as well. Um, but, you know, our real, real, you know, what we're really interested in is this whole idea of this, um, you know, pure on-chain, um, you know, pure on-chain worlds, eternal worlds, autonomous worlds, whatever you want to call them. This, uh, this idea that you, you know, once you deploy these games, they run, um, you know, autonomously on these chains basically for until they, those chains die. So, you know, they're, they're totally open source, permissionless and um, uh, controlled by the developer and the player. So, yeah, that was, that was a little quick, quick run through. Fantastic. Appreciate it. Um, let's talk a bit about how you're using the new AI models that we've seen ah. everywhere on social media. Yeah. Um, how, how does that work? And perhaps it's useful for you to describe like the way mm. you work and the people that you work with, because you yeah. know, if you're on YouTube, you'll see that we're not speaking to a person here, we're speaking to a black screen or a little <laughs> bread, whatever that yeah. turns out to be in post editing. Yeah. Um, and so could you tell us a bit more about how you're working and then also how, how AI comes into that? Yeah. So, you know, when we started this project, we, you know, I've built businesses in the past and um, this idea of, you know, cross-border um, collaboration, you know, without, you know, any entity um, uh, as a DAO, you know, really appealed to me. So, you know, I thought, you know, let's just, let's experiment and try to build this organization in that way. Um, and there's a lot of hardness to that in, in terms of like its persistence. Um, you know, there's not a centralization risk comes with its challenges as, you know, everyone's distributed. Um, but yeah, we, 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 we kind of, the Bibliotheca DAO, we work as, you know, a distributed team under a DAO. Um, and, you know, we're the, we're the custodians of the, of the code right now, but it's really, we're building this game with the whole DAO. Um, so that's kind of how we work. Um, there's about 13 contributors, like kind of core contributors that are like part-time, full-time um, and, you know, uh, you know, semi-time whatever you want to call it. Um, but really there's a lot of other outside contributors that, that participate, you know, like Nico yourself, you, you, you pop in and add your two cents as well. Um, so, you know, it's like this collective world build that we're building this game. Um, and so, uh, you know, that, that comes with its challenges because, you know, we're on a budget. We don't have, you know, a massive, massive, you know, art department, um, which is really what the cost of most games actually are, if you think about it. Like, it's you know you pay armies of 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 um, artists and and designers to build these intricate um, you know 3D models and scenes and um, you know rig them all up and all that stuff right um, and you know so uh, actually one of our engineers on our team um, Dham um, uh, he he actually I don't know if anyone remembers but he um, about a year and a half ago, like like what was that um, Loot Mart that was in what September last year. Uh, I think it was like a month after loot launch. Anyway, he started using this dif diffusion models, which is what stable diffusion and mid journey is. It's the guts of it, but it was a really early version of it. Uh, this was before MJ or stable diffusion or Dali existed. Um, and he he uh, he actually used this stable these diffusers to build um, images of the loot items in the very very early early days. So this was ages ago, right? Um, and that was like the first kind of glimpse I had of these like you know text to um, image models. 
Um, and it was very primitive back then. I don't know, you could probably dig it up, um, but it was Loot Mart and um, I'll, I'll try and get a link and you can put it in your um, in your notes. Um, but you can see like it's just in, in like 14 months, it went from that to, you know, MJ right now, which is like high fidelity, photorealistic, like it's, it's past the uncanny zone, right? Um, and uh, yeah, so, so DM, you know, started on that a while ago and we, we've always been kind of like, um, you know, thinking, is it ready? Is it ready? Is it ready? This like software, right? And like, it was like, it's kind of, it was, it hasn't really been ready up until about a month ago, to be honest. Like, you know, even um, Mid Journey 3 is like, you know, um, it's, it's just not quite right. Like it's doesn't create really high fidelity images. Like some of it's good, but some of it's not. Like it's very, very hit and miss. Um, and then Mid Journey 4 is like, like in actually incredible. Like it, it's it's mind blowing every single day. Um, blows my mind. And um, and so you know, for the last like eight months, we've been kind of dabbling in it. Like you know, building these, you know, um, uh, playing around with infrastructure. Like how are we going to inc- incorporate this into our workflow and whatnot. Um, and then Mid Journey happened. And it just kind of caught us, caught us, and we're like, okay, let's just you know, let's just do everything in it. You know, and let's 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 crowdsource a lot of these images directly from the DAO, let people in the DAO, you know, um, prompt and uh, create these images and then, then let's lose, use these images in the client, you know, and if we don't like the client after like a couple of days, we can just chuck it out and create, recreate images. Um, and they're like, <laughs> they're, they're ridiculously good. Like this has totally changed the game for, for, for game developers forever. Um, and it's still in a, like, these things are like two years old, like in six months time, um, they're, 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 I think uh, the, the stable diffusion engineers, just on a tangent, they said, um, it was one of them, I think it was MGL stable diffusion. So anyway, they said, actually, I think it was Midjourney. Um, they said every two months, they're going to have a significant fidelity boost in their model for the next like year. So there's like six incremental jumps until they think that the technology will start to plateau. Um, so like, it's good now. But like mid journey ten in like a year will be like I mean it'll probably be like you know you could whip up a three D model or like a full on three D scene that you can walk through in a matter of thirty seconds. Um, so yeah, um, so yeah, I, I'm you can tell I'm I'm pretty excited about it and like you know we were thinking like oh we're gonna have to hire an art team and all this stuff and now like well now we don't um, now we can really leverage what DAOs are good for is like you know this whole collective consciousness of all these people around the world working asynchronously and you know it's very easy to, to, to teach someone how to prompt an image um, it's very hard to teach someone how to you know draw a high fidelity image right like I mean not many people can even do it even if you did teach them for two years um, <laughs> so yeah it's it's uh, it's very exciting and then there's a the whole GPT-3 thing which is a whole other whole other can of worms but yeah mm-hmm. um, so you have a bunch of non-technical non-designy people in your DAO that are just excited about what you're doing and yeah. you've taught them or they taught themselves how to write prompts and now yeah. you're leveraging your community to generate visual assets for your game. Exactly, yeah. That's exactly right, yeah. Um, so, and most people like actually aren't artists. Like I'm, I'm, I, can't, I can't paint, but you know, you can teach people to, to prompt, right? You know, it's, it's a quite an easy thing to do. Um, so yeah, and that's, we can, we can leverage everyone and you know, we can even, we could even have like an entire client challenge where like, you know, have you know your, your 20 assets you need and do a challenge you can create the, the next client and you can have like 20 different clients you can choose what you want to play the game as and you could do that in like a week <laughs> it's crazy it's bananas it's bananas Devin 
with your game building experience, what does this, um, like, does this like put questions in your head around the cohesiveness of art, for example, because, you know, as far as I understand in any game, you know, there's this one, I would say center truth core of, of visual identity that then things branch out of. Um, I, I'm assuming that is at the moment not self-evident uh, to do with these uh, mid-journey um, models. Yeah, so I, I think the thing is like we're we're kind of like we're not at the the point yet where this stuff is really built for that kind of purpose, and so um, you end up in a situation where it's great for generating lots of one-off images, generating stuff that has a specific identity to it. Right now, the hack for that is to use particular art styles, right? Like yeah. where you can give it an artist style and have yeah. it replicate that artist style. That's basically the hack. To say, okay, yeah. well, I, I'm basically hiring that artist, you know, from the grave or whatever to do it. It's like sort of like deep faking someone who's dead, right? Like, you know, an Elvis hologram or something. And so it's this idea that uh, you can do that part. But then we get to the point where like we start to wonder, okay, down the line, can we start to train it on our custom art styles? Can we take a whole bunch of say concept art for a game train it on that and as like a custom set or something like that to then skew future art, like where you say, hey, this is a source image for the art style or a couple of images. Can you now use this and apply this art style to future generated prompts? Uh, and obviously, I think we're still probably a little ways away from that yeah. level that quickly now. doing that sort of thing. Yeah. 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 I'll, that, that's that's exactly where it's heading, right? It's like, that's that's the secret source because like anyone can use these models, right? But like... yeah. You have to, the, the, the key is going to be training them on your data and then, you know, you own that data and then like, you know, that's, that's how you get your unique, uniqueness to your um, identity, right. right? I think that'll, that'll be the big thing is where we start to see like things like forking, custom data sets, stuff like that, where, where it starts to be something that's less uh, of like a monolithic data training set that everyone's using, where everyone can use the same data set and you start to get to more, yeah, more, like almost like kind of building your own moat around your particular generative AI, whether that be a per game, per publisher, like obviously a publisher's data set can be really valuable across multiple games, stuff like that. But the big, big challenge, of course, is going to be characters, right? Like dealing with characters is going to be a lot harder than uh, doing like, say, scenes in a certain style, right? Like, because there's certain keywords you can use to get a certain style, like, oh, oh cyberpunk or synthwave or whatever, or like, you know, gothic. The, those kind of keywords can give you a specific, like, semi-generic style that you can apply across buildings and, and vehicles and things like that. I don't think that's difficult to do as long as it's like applying to a genre or theme that people can readily understand anyways. It's more like, uh, how do I take this character, put them in different poses, different scenes? Now, of course, if you can generate like a, a single, say, 3D model, right? Uh, that could be generated, uh, you know, tweaked, whatever. The way the way character creators are in games, right? Where you're, that is a generative model for a character, right? That you're sitting there adjusting sliders and parameters. And we start to get that to that sort of, th sort of thing combined with prompts. Then we can get a 3D character that, that we can then place in a generated scene and start to combine assets. Because right now it's like, oh, we'll generate one big image. When we start to get to more combined asset stuff, I think that's where we get the flexibility to do a lot more with it, whether that be 3D or just simple, you know, layered composites, stuff like that. Um, reminds me of like matte paintings that we would do for movies back in the day, right? Like we'd have all these matte painting backgrounds and it's like, oh, do we start just using them like for now as like matte painting backgrounds and then apply stuff on the, in the foreground? Um, I, I think it's going to be kind of hacks for a while, right? But the nice thing is the hacks will help kind of pave the way for what is a good workflow as people figure out like the different problems. So people like Loaf, you know, trying to use this stuff in games, like, yeah, it's going to be rough, 
like doing it and like there's advantages and disadvantages, but that's the only thing that's going to push this sort of thing forward. And it's funny hearing Loaf talk about like the, um, the mid journey, like huge leaps. It, it, it almost sounds like we're going towards this sort of, uh, Moore's law age of AI stuff where we're getting these big leaps. Like when you went from, you know, GPT three, like original stuff to chat GPT, it just felt like this huge leap. Mm, and yeah. I think we're going to kind of go through maybe, maybe it's not like truly Moore's law, but these big leaps where we're like building on top of previous things. And then I think them opening it up and lots of people experimenting with it, like what, what's happening right now with the art stuff and the chat GPT stuff. That's, what's really going to drive it forward because people pushing it to the limits seeing what it could do, trying to use it for commercial products where like there's like something actually on the line and not just hobby, you know, deviant art kind of style generating stuff. Uh, I think that's where it's really going to like start to force uh, people to actually develop practical tools. Yeah. Um, so, you know, maybe we're not there yet, but people like Loaf are obviously going to help with that. Yeah, it's, it's, the, uh, it's, the, it's the pipelines, I think, that are right. really going to be key. It's like, you know, plugging you know, plugging GPT-3 into, you know, telling GPT-3 to generate prompts and then you automatically feed those prompts back in the mid-journey and then you automatically feed that back into like, you know, a um, upscaler, um, which then, you know, feeds into another model that animates the face or something, you know, um, and you connect up all these models together and that's how you have your, you know, that's, that's your pipeline in, to turn it into your app or your game or whatever. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of a lot of applications like that. Um, I want to see I a lot of hacks more around the memory system too in, in yeah. the sense of like, right now we kind of have to re-explain stuff a lot, right? There's a very limited memory, short-term mm. memory in these kind of systems. Yeah. Um, I think when we start to kind of bolt on different systems where you can customize that, that sort of memory as part of that pipeline so you're not having to regenerate a lot of these uh, essential elements from scratch and you're not also having to train a whole data set it's more like this sort of plug-in memory database where you're like, here's a bunch of contextual elements so I don't have to re-include them in my prompt and I don't have to train them into my data set. And you can start to bolt on these sorts of things that kind of uh, help shim in your customizations. I think it, that'll be an interesting thing to see at some point as well. I was um, I was reading a piece, it's called Before the Flood. I'll also link it in the notes. And it made a really interesting point, which is that the like the amount of businesses that could be built with the current state of these AI technologies yeah. is crazy, right? We already yeah. mentioned a few, like the technology is there to make it so that you can, you know, from one core art image starts building all of the art you need for your game, right? The, the, the technology is there. But then we're going to have these leaps over the next freaking year that are going to be, you know, every two months a significant move forward, which is going to just exponentially grow what the hell we can do with this. Um, yeah. And so I think, um, yeah, um, AI in general is, is not over. Gaming and AI is not over. And um, it's going to be interesting because I feel like, you know, a team like uh, like the Realms team that's, uh, that loves leading, um, you know, you're in a prime position to take full advantage of, you know, these technologies. And so maybe yeah. you'll be leapfrogging ahead of everyone else uh, over the next year. Yeah, well, I think we just have the um the, the benefit of just being able to experiment at, like on mass, you know, <laughs> in the open, you know, and uh, we, we you know we can just go crazy. Um, mm -hmm. just a t just a team of nerds tinkering. I mean, that's what pushes everything forward, right? Um, yeah. but yeah, no, I I'm I feel like you know uh, you know the industrial revolution. You know, you had the steam engine, right? It just replaced you know um, human labor, um, and you know AI is like. And, you know, that, that got us a massive leap forward in our productivity. And I feel like, you know, it has been this whole, like, talk about... I remember reading, like, in, like, seven years ago, you know, all the, all the, all the, all the um, 
you know, Silicon Valley people saying, you know, it's going to be startup plus AI, startup plus AI. And like, it ha- it's only, it's taken like seven years. Like now in the next year, it's going to be startup plus AI. Um, <laughs> in the in the last seven years, it's been like a few that have like been willing to create these models. But now these models are so freely available. It's just like, you know, um, make an app that, you know, does X, Y, and Z using two models and then bang, you have, you know, 100,000 users. Um, but I think there's going to be definitely a bubble in that. So I'll watch out as well. Um, but yeah, I, you know, the AI is just this tool that like, you know, just increases your productivity. I mean, I'm already using it as co-pilot in my, um, in my VS code and I'm using GPT-3 to answer, you know, questions immediately. And it's, you know, it, it's maybe not 10x my productivity, but it's definitely like, you know, two, two, three X, um, uh, if you, if you use it correctly. And you know, that, that the compounding effect that has on everything is, is, is crazy. The risk I see with stuff like that, even like Copilot, as well as all these other things, is some of the, some of the shallowness. Could, could we just contextualize Copilot for a second? Um, yeah, I yeah. think it's, uh, it's important. Go ahead and explain it, love. Uh, Copilot, so it's it's made by the same company that um did does GPT three OpenAI, um, but it's it's a it's like a plug it into your code editor, um, and what it what it, it basically like auto completes or makes suggestions whilst you're writing code. So you know if you're writing, it's really good for JavaScript because it's like a billion lines of JavaScript and it's quite a simple language. Um, so, you know, say if you like, there's all these like, you know, weird um, one-liner functions you can do in JavaScript and like, it's very hard to like remember absolutely 100% of them. But so you like, if you need to remember one, you can still like slash slash, you know, like, you know, how do you reduce like three arrays, the nested objects and stuff. And then it'll just give you that code. And it's like, boom. And like the, the alternative to doing that would be like, okay, I'm going to go to Google. I'm going to write it in. I'm going to go through a few stack overflow. Then I'll find it. Then I'll use it, right? That's basically what most programming is. Um, but this way it's like bang in your, in my editor and then I'm ready to go. Like in like, within like five seconds. Oh, and to be fair, chat GPT has also been banned from uh, Stack Overflow for giving answers <laughs> for, for extra context there. Uh, yeah. So that's, a, that's an interesting side effect. Yeah, it, it doesn't get it right. Like, like it's not, it's 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 not like perfect, but it's like it's better than not having it. Like it's like some things are like, why did it do that? But then some things are like, okay, that's right. Um, it's it's surprisingly good at writing comments as well. It just knows what you want to comment so you don't have to type it out. Um, that's actually what I've used the most of it for. <laughs> I mean, that's definitely helpful because uh, as a programmer yeah. myself, I know how much work that is in itself just getting yeah. code commented. Yeah. <laughs> I, do, I do worry about the shallowness and genericness problem. Yeah. So like what happens first off if you're all using the exact same shared database uh, mm-hmm. or training set, right, is you're improve. all going to get relatively similar answers, right? It, it, that's one thing. There's there's a little bit of lack of um, variety. I mean, obviously there are systems where like uh, ChatGPT, for example, could provide some different different stuff uh, with some of the randomness function in terms of like different responses to the same prompt. Um, but it it doesn't necessarily have the same kind of uh, problem solving sort of like think out of the box no, sort it. of nature that people do. And yeah. you end up with situations where a lot of times the results you get from these systems are good, but not great because they yeah. they're shallow. They lack uh, certain, and I don't want to say humanist because I think that's overrating humans. Uh, I'm not a big fan of that that idea in movies where like humans are some special thing and well, we got to save it and preserve it and it's all our flaws that make us special and all that junk. Not not a fan, I'm a little too much in the transcendence side, but uh, I do think there is like a little something, you know, that we don't have in there yet, yeah. right? That, that sort yeah. of, um, I don't know if you want to call it soul, I guess, but it's more like it's, creativity or like yeah. um, variance to it that is uh, not just randomness, but rather... You know, some other stuff. And so I think 
we're going to have the situation where maybe we just need more differentiated training sets. Maybe we need more like people that are really good at piloting the AI in a certain way with the prompts, stuff like that. But I think for a while, there'll be a period where everything's kind of a little generic because that's what it is, right? If it's, if it's based off these kinds of statistical models and other ways of like genericizing something, because that's what it is, right? You're taking a training set, you're ta- yeah. you're extracting the sort of generic elements from it in a way. Like that's not the exact way, but that's the basic result. And therefore, you're getting in a way like an amalgamation of generic results. Uh, and so, like obviously, then the creativity is in the prompt to try and get around that, right? Mm. I think that's why it's good with code, right? Because like mm-hmm. you know. But then you have the code being straight up stolen, like the fast square root function that still had like John Carmack's like swearing comments in it. Yeah. Well, surprisingly, it, it, it's picked out some pretty good functions um, wh- whenever I've used it. Some things it does wrong, but like, you know, like you don't need to reinvent the wheel on every single function that you do um, or every, you know, script that you're trying to write, right? It just, right. It just That's why helps. John Carmack's one was a great example because it's like yeah. this was still the best function yeah, that exactly. someone wrote. And so there's a good reason to steal that. But I just mean like, if we can, if we can do that, we're also not going to reinvent the wheel, which in itself is an adaptivity or adaptability problem. Which, like, at some point, we start ending up like homogenizing stuff. And anyone who's been in like cybersecurity and other stuff like that knows that the the problems with homogeny, like in terms of adaptability and, and like flexibility, uh, to to deal with problems. So we do have to be like I, these aren't big big problems, but these are concerns to keep in mind as we go through this phase. Yeah, and it, just to be clear, it's definitely not AGI. Um, it's far, far from it. <laughs> As it meaning mm-hmm. artificial, you know, it's, it's not a general intelligence software. This is just a chat no Skynet thing yet. right now. It's definitely not. No, it's got a long way to go for that. Um, but yeah, fantastic. Um, let's uh, let's move on to perhaps account extraction, uh, abstraction, because I know that Loaf was particularly eager to uh, to to talk about that. Um, can you give us a background about what it is and then we can go into why it's important? And um, I would say that it seems to me that it's especially important since the FTX, colla- FTX collapse. Uh, but um, give, 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 give us a background there. <laughs> yeah, well, let's not go into that. But yeah, that's, that was everything that crypto isn't. Um, but yeah, uh, so account abstraction is this, um, I mean, it's been talked about, you know, on the Ethereum roadmap for a long time. And, um, you know, Right now with Ethereum, you have, you know, two types of accounts. You have your EOA accounts and then you have your, you know, um, contracts. Um, and, you know, it, it you know, that, that's when you use MetaMask, you know, that's, that's your account, right? And then you have your, you know, your, your contracts, you know, your ERC20 contracts or whatever other contracts you want, right? Um, account abstraction basically is this idea of like, there is no two types. There's just one thing. This is one, one type of account, which is your contract. Um, and so your account is a contract. And what that means is, is that you can basically, you know, you can program your account to do whatever you want, right? So, um, you know, you can uh, program your account to be, you know, when I receive uh, ETH into that account, it'll automatically sell it on a, on a, um, on Uniswap for, you know, USDC or whatever. Now that's like a very, very simple example, but think of it as like a, um, a, Everyone knows what a plugin, right? Is a plugin extends a program, right? And so think of your account now in these account abstraction um, networks like Starknet and ZK Sync as um, you know your account, and you can use these plugins to extend the functionality of your account, right? And so you know, um, 
you know, one 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 plugin could be that 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 what I just described to you, that little script that converts any ETH that hits your wallet gets automatically converted into USDC if the price is right or something. Um, another um, application would be okay. I'm going to add a session key plugin, which will allow me to play. Um, well, will allow you to play games without actually using your account. Um, and so you can, uh, the session key will actually make signatures, will we'll sign transactions for you in the background. So you don't have to do the annoying pop-up and sign every transaction. And so um, uh, we can go deep into session keys. Um, but yeah, so that, that's like that. I think I think I may have speed run that a little too much, but um, uh, I, I think that the, the, you know, the overarching principle is that um, account abstraction means that there's one account type on a network and uh, it comes with these um, great quality of life um, improvements and you just mentioned FTX and so um, you know the problem with FTX is that it was you know FTX was holding everyone's money right and no one knew what was doing it any you know no one knew what they were doing with it right um, and so this is the, the benefit of, of self-custody right you, you need to hold your coins you need to hold your coins on your on your wallet and you need to have your private key and don't ever keep anything on exchange unless you're trading um, that's that's the rule of thumb um, and so uh, account abstraction well it, it I mean I mean I don't think uh, I guess it would have saved some people but um, I think what you're, you're you were getting at is this whole idea of like account recovery, right? Is that what you're trying to prod out? Yeah, and so um, uh, every you know right now with Ethereum you have this like you know you have your twelve um, seed phrase right, twelve twelve um twelve word seed phrase, and um, and you know if you if you if that gets exposed or something, um, you know your account's dead forever. Um, with account abstraction, you could actually have this idea of like this trusted um, party, and you could actually recover your account, and you could change your private you could change your um, private key to that that um uh, that account, so you could get your account back. Um, and so there's some really interesting companies working in that um, space, especially Argent, um, a big French company. So I'll definitely check them out. Um, but yeah, that that was that was a brief run through. Um, of that, but what do you guys have to add, add to that? Sounds like so, security problems. <laughs> so just to make sure that we're all on the same page, um, I'm going to try and explain it to you in, in my words, which are simple words, because um, I'm five years old in, in many ways. <laughs> um, we can program smart contracts on the EVM. On Ethereum, I can program a smart contract. Um, and that gives it like flexibility and I can, I can do a bunch of cool stuff with that. And so the example that you gave where, you know, if I want to send something to an address and have that sold automatically, we can do that with a smart contract today because we can program it. What it, what we can't program today is my wallet. Like I can't program my own wallet. Um, and through account extraction, abstraction, all wallets, or all accounts become programmable. And that means that we can start programming user-owned wallets as well. Is, is that a good explanation? Yeah, that's, 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 that's a good example. Exactly, yeah. Okay. Pretty cool. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's worth keeping in mind that smart contracts already kind of have a wallet. Like they have their own mm, they, you know, they are, ability they are to store. Yeah. So like they, they are like a wallet plus. So mm. in theory, you could already do that today by just making a smart contract that acts kind of as your wallet, but then you still need some way to sign that and transact yeah. with it, which means you still need also your own wallet. And yeah, so like exactly. it's kind of a little messier to do it's it clunky. the way things are now. Exactly. It's very clunky. Um, but yeah, I mean, some some of the, uh, you know, really interesting things, uh, especially in gaming, since this is a very, you know, gaming focused um, podcast, um, and what we're doing with realms, 
um, is this idea for, of like a native multi-call. And you can do multi-calls like on, on, you know, on the regular EVM, um, but you have to like, it's quite a convoluted um, technique to do it. Um, and so I say native multi-call, which means that like I can basically just queue up all these transactions. So I can go around in my game and I can be like, I'm going to build this, I'm going to build that, I'm going to claim, I'm going to trade, I'm going to do all this stuff. And so I, I queue all those transactions up and it goes into my thing called a transaction cart. And um, I can just do one signing and it signs all those transactions in like one signature. And so I can basically get like 20 transaction throughput, you know, with one signature. Um, and so with, with games, that's very, very handy um, because you don't have to sign everything, right? And it, the, the, the transactions execute, you know, sequentially. So they just go one after the other. Um, and so you can actually queue them up. So the state matches and you can be like, I'm going to buy resources and then I'm going to build my castle and then I'm going to build my troops. And they're all dependent on one another. Um, and so that's that's a really interesting um, a kind of UX uh, that 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 um, you know that we're working on. Somewhere between um, a single transaction and a roll-up kind of thing, right? Yeah, it's yeah, kind of. Um, but yeah, it, it's when you kind of like when you go from a game that can only do one transaction at a time to like a game that can do ten transactions at a time, like it's a it's a big big change. Um, um, the other, the, you know, there's a there's another thing I just just remembered. Um, and so there's a there's a company on building on Starknet right now um, called Cartridge, and they're they're trying to um, you know they're trying to abstract this whole you know they're, they're basically trying to improve the UX 100x um, uh, you know to onboard you know the next million people into games. Um, and so what they've done is they're in in iOS devices there's this thing called a secure enclave, and a secure enclave is like a kind of a separated little um, memory store that you can. Um, you know, store encrypted information in, and it doesn't. It's not accessed by the rest of the phone. Um, and so, what they've done is they've actually used, um, you know, um, account abstraction and Starknet to. Um, uh, you can create an account uh, with your like biometrics, and it like automatically saves your private key into the secure enclave, and you can sign transactions in with your biometrics. Um, now, that's that's only because of account abstraction you can do that. Um, so that's a really cool, um, uh, a cool thing that's been built right now. Definitely uh, have some concerns about some of this stuff too when it comes to like the idea of like what Nico saying, for example, about like thinking about like plugins and things like that. Is if you look, for example, the way browser plugins end up being like, um, if we start depending on these sort of like other third party dependent things to inject into our wallet, uh, like let's say MetaMask supported plugins, even for example, right? Like, or maybe it does, I was using this example, but. Uh, you get a lot of malicious Chrome plugins, for example, that, that go into the browser. And I could see the same thing for MetaMask, right? Where uh, people are going to have to be a little bit vigilant about the kinds of things that they integrate into their wallet. Because right now, it's, if you have a wallet, you just have the seed phrase, you have the password, uh, the private key, essentially. It's, it's just all variations of the private key. But as long as that private key is secure, you're fine for the most part, right? Uh, whereas if you start to introduce other bits of code that can interact with your wallet uh, or interact with your your balance basically um then that starts to become a little bit riskier in some ways um but i guess it's less risky than letting um sbf hold your money so i guess it's progress uh but i do think it's important to kind of like (laughs) let's make sure that we have people if we move towards this you know that that are auditing these that are making sure that there's like Mm. some kind of safety check mark so there's not like logic bombs and stuff built into these um uh (laughs) these these you know account abstractions yeah like Unfortunately, you know, I feel like, you know, that, that you probably, you've raised a good point, you know, we need to be um, very, very, um, very aware of that. Um, but yeah, like, you know, Arjun are a great team. 
and you know they're kind of leading the whole charge on that whole idea of a plugins um, system. So, but yeah, it's you know still super early Starknet, still kind of alpha. Um, you know, this whole idea of account abstraction is like very very early. Well, it's been a, like the idea for it's been around for a while, but like actual implementation of it is you know quite early. So, you know, we're still trying to figure out this whole UX. That was kind of the, the challenge with building the game that we're building. It's like, you know, how do we really lean into this whole, um, you know, new UX? And so it's, you know, it's taken some challenge and, 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 and playing around to try to crack that UX um, uh, to, you know, really leverage it. Is this, you mentioned that account abstraction is natively built into StarkNet and ZK Sync. Is this a ZK rollup type? Uh, like unique to ZK rollups, but you also mentioned uh, that Ethereum uh, is also looking at this. How does it? Uh, well, work? I think um, the well, um, uh, Zinc's got, uh, ZK Sync's got their own like VM um, design, and so does Starknet. Um, and by VM, I mean like the the like they run on this, you know, um, you know their, their own Cairo virtual machine, right? And the Ethereum virtual machine, the EVM, that's what. Um, you know, mainnet runs on. That's what all these optimistic rollers run on, um, and the sidechains run on. They run on you know different tuned EVMs, um, but that comes with its constraint of what the EVM is. That's why it's built, and the EVM doesn't have a native account abstraction built into it. Um, it's a total architecture change needed for it. Um, they, they are kind of pushing for it. Maybe in the next year, it they're going to do an upgrade that will make it a lot easier, but it'll still kind of still be opt-in, so it won't be quite native. Um, but you'll still get some quality of lives, but um, uh, the Cairo VM, for example, is like they build it up from the ground up, and so they when they were making the design decisions to build it, they were like, okay, well, let's, you know, let's really lead, um, you know, what Ethereum wanted to be, um, and so they weren't constrained by the EVM. They built it from the ground up, and they decided to build a native account abstraction into the into the machine itself, um, and so that's why I say native account abstraction. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. So they, they're not they're not constrained by the EVM. They can just do what they want, um, which is which is a, which is real positive. There's definitely like a philosophical debate around you know what what's gonna you know um, uh, you know like you know win out in the end. Like, is it gonna have to be everything EVM, or can you have some VMs and some EVMs, and then they you still got Mac with... and PC, so you never know. Yeah. Well, I I mean I I just you know I think it's just short termism the thinking like that like you know this is a multi-decade like transition right like blockchains aren't going away we wouldn't be having this conversation if we did right like this is going to be around for, for for decades and so we're arguing right now about well my vm doesn't quite interop with like metamask but like i mean who, who cares like it's it's like early right now we don't really have it like no one's really using blockchains right now um and why shall we you know, bring the baggage of what the EVM is. The EVM is a great, like, low power machine, right? But like, if we want something that can, like, you know, push applications like DApp designs forward and open up new design spaces, then we shouldn't take that baggage unless we absolutely have to. But we don't have to, right? We can run our own EV um, VMs and then and then settle onto, you know, um, mainnet. And so that's um that's why I like the design decision of what what Starknet's done. You know, it's like well. You know, like it's it's early right now. It's kind of annoying to develop with, but like, who cares? Um, it's you know, it, it will catch up, and then when it catches up, well, then what's the difference? Well, we got this. You know, well, not me, but you know, like the the, the car EVM will have a leg up because it's does not constrained by the EVM. Um, but yeah, but that being said, I think there's so much block space needed that everyone is going to have, you know, um, that, that there's not just going to be one VM um, in my mind. One of the reasons why I love having low fun is because. 
Loaf, you're like, I don't know, five years ahead of anyone else in blockchain games thinking about these things. Um, <laughs> now everyone's like, how do I stop people selling my NFTs, man? Um, my floor price is crashing. And you're like, <laughs> my board ape got stolen. What do yeah, I do? Yeah. Anyway, good. No, this was uh, fantastic. I think, um, Loaf, we're, we're going to have to get you back on. Um, I hope by then that you figure out a way for us to, to look at something while you're speaking. Um, and uh, we should talk about a bit more about StarkNet and how it is you know, building over there. We've talked about it yeah. a bit, but I think um, not with someone who's actually building there. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'd love to any any time. Just just to just to round off, I think there's um you know uh, you mentioned like ZK. Um, we you could pro- we could probably do a whole topic on ZK. Um, if 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 we um if we wanted to, um, but you know, Starknet isn't like it's a it's a stocks are like you know they can be zero knowledge or they can't be, they don't have to be and so Starknet isn't actually zero knowledge it's called a validity roll-up um so you know it's not using zero knowledge um proofs in, in its network it will you will be able to in the in the future though they'll they'll do like a private network um but right now it really uses the properties of of, of these um stocks stock proofs um to build the network um and same as it casing um so um i'm not i'm not like i, I, I don't have the time to Fully, fully deep dive into ZK Sync's architecture, but yeah, um, but yeah, just just to just to finish on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's clear that um, when I'm talking about these things, I'm uh, I'm slightly over my skis, so it's going to be good to have a session where you you walk us through um, the details <laughs> there. Yeah, love to. Good. All right, fantastic. Well, Loaf, uh, thanks for coming on as a guest. Devin, thanks for joining Pleasure. us in the middle of your nights, or I would say it's the middle of the nights, but it's the middle of your day. It's his daytime. So it's my yeah. afternoon. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Good. All right. Thank you both. Right. Uh, listener, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed, um, feel free to let us know if you learned something. Feel free to let Loaf know. Loaf, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter, Lord of a Few, or you can pop into our um, Discord, um, which you can find uh, oh, just on my Twitter handle. You'll be able to find a link. So just Lord okay. of a Few. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. Thank you, everyone. And um, yeah, speak to you next week. Ciao.